This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, all you spooky listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Morbid Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Nicole. I'll be taking you through some of the most heinous, shocking, and morbid crimes, including, of course, the paranormal. Listener discretion is advised. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at morbid, period, curiosity, period, TC podcast, where you can find photos related to our cases, including crime scene photos on occasion, of course, with the exception of postmortem photos. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Hey, you guys, we are getting closer and closer to spooky season. I don't know if you're excited, but I'm definitely excited. Um, And today is going to be a little bit of a taboo subject. Um, So I am only going to try to say the word skinwalker like maybe once. Okay, other than that, we're going to keep it to um, SW or uh, I'll come up with something. Come up with something because I don't know if we have any like, you know, um, native listeners. I'm not really sure. And I know for sure they don't like hearing that word. So with respect for that, we're going to try to keep the word short. Um But we are definitely going to be talking about that legend today and then also kind of giving you some ideas of the other legends in, you know, the Navajo, um, Navajo culture. So let's get started. All right. And also, um, sources, Wikipedia, allthat'sinteresting.com, history.co.uk, and legendsofamerica.com, um, the one that I got the most information from, uh, I will be um, sourcing that person's name who made the article that I'll be going over today. Um, yeah, just to kind of give them credit. So, because it was really, really informative as where I had actual trouble trying to find good information on this subject. So, yeah, let's get into it. All right, so we're going to take a... A moment to kind of do like a brief history lesson, right, for the Navajo people. So, um, they tell the story of emergence, which is a the first man, the first woman, and the people moved from the first world to the fourth world, the earth surface world. Now, first man brought four sacred mountains from the third world to the earth surface world. Those mountains were which I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm not going to sit there and tell you in their language what these mountains are called because I can't. So, uh, we have, um, kind of like a translation of what they mean. So, uh, White Mountain, which is Block of Peak in Colorado, Turquoise Mountain, which is Mount Taylor in New Mexico, Yellow Mountain, which is Mount Humphreys in Arizona, 
and Dark Mountain, which is Hesperus Peak in Colorado. Hopefully I said that right. Um, now, they mark the sacred homeland of the Navajo people. Now, anthropologists um, hypothesize that the Navajo split from the southern Athabascans and migrated into the southwest between 200 and 1300 A.D. So, between 900 and 1525 A.D., the Navajos developed a rich and complex culture in the area of present-day northwestern New Mexico. Now, here, the Navajos developed trade networks with both the Ana, excuse me if I say this wrong, Anasazi and historic Pueblo peoples. Now, bringing new goods, technologies, um, such as like flint points, moccasins to the southwest. Um, the Navajos may have moved into southeastern Utah as early as 1620. Uh, by the 18th century, they had spread into northeastern Arizona and southeastern Utah. So the Navajos came into contact with early Spanish explorers in the 16th century. So in 1680, Navajo and Apache groups aided Pueblo Indians in the Pueblo Revolt, a war for independence from the Spanish who had brutalized and enslaved the Pueblos for decades. Now, the rebellion forced the Spanish back into Mexico for a time, but in 1693, the Spanish reconquered the area of the Rio Grande Valley. So some Pueblos um, took refuge among the Navajos, resulting in an intermixing of Navajo and Pueblo cultures. Um, the arrival of the Spanish also introduced sheep, goats, and horses to the Navajo. The Navajos um, were highly adaptive and incorporated domestic livestock and agriculture into their substance system. Um, they also adopted the horse and, like other tribes who used the animals as a means of transportation, sometimes engaged in slave and food ration, excuse me, in slave and food raids on neighboring tribes. So, then, in the late 18th century, the Navajos became involved in direct conflict with Spanish forces intent on conquering the Southwest. The Spanish formed alliances with the Comanches and Utes to weaken the Navajos, and many fell victim to the Spanish slave trade. The culmination of hostilities came in 1863, when the U.S. Army, under the command of Christopher Kit Carson, used scorch-earth tactics to force the surrender of the Navajo. This defeat resulted in the infamous long walk from their homeland in Fort Summer in central New Mexico. Hundreds died or disappeared during the grueling 300-mile forced march. Those who survived were held at the overcrowded, undersupplied, insanitary Bosque. Uh, now, forgive me, I can roll an R, but... Uh, Renaldo Reservation at Fort Sumner. I hope I did that justice. Um, after four years of intermittent, an 1868 treaty allowed the Navajo to return to their original homeland. 
The Navajo reservation set aside by the Treaty of 1868 has subsequently been enlarged through executive order and special legislation, including an 1884 executive order through which much of the land in present-day southeastern Utah was added. The Navajo raised goats and sheep and eventually developed a barter economy, exchanging rugs and silverwork with white traders. In the 1920s, oil and mineral exploration began in the Four Corners region. Oil and gas discoveries in the 1950s and 1960s on the Utah portion of the reservation have enriched the Navajo Nation and the state of Utah a great deal. Although oil wells have also caused environmental problems, contaminating water, and damaging rangelands, excuse me, Uranium mining, which began in the 1940s, has also had mixed results for the Navajos. Uh, Mining brought much-needed funds to the tribal treasury, but radioactive contamination has left a legacy of death and disease in the mining communities. Although Native Americans were not granted citizenship until 1924, Navajos have a proud history of wartime service in the 20th century. Many Utah Navajos served in the First World War. During World War II, Navajo played a major part in winning the war in the Pacific by developing a code based um, on the Navajo language that proved impossible for the Japanese to break. Um, they called them code talkers, so they are now famous, but over 3,000 Navajos also served in the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Women's Army Corps, and several thousand more left the reservation to work in war-related industries. Okay, so after our history lesson, let's move on to the legends of the Navajo tribe. So, uh, I found four I'm sure there's probably a lot more, but these are just the four that I could find information on. So, obviously, the first one is what we're talking about today, which is the walkers. Um, I hope that is a good term to use because saying SW every time uh, is going to be tiring. And I know there was this one podcast that did an episode on the walkers and people were pitching a fit about saying the words. So I said it once in the beginning. That's all I'm going to say. Other than that, I'm going to say walkers. If that is still inappropriate, please let me know. Um, I can go back. Maybe, maybe try to edit. I don't, we'll figure it out. Anyway, so obviously number one would be the walkers. Number two, the cannibal dwarves of the Great Plains. Um, they pretty much believed that there was these little goblin, uh, cannibalistic, um, like entities um, called the Tehian. I hope I said that right. I listened to the pronunciation like 5,000 times. So I'm trying my best. Um, they were like child size. They were really aggressive. Um, there's different versions, of course, depending on what tribe, you know, you hear them from. Um, so like they were warlike um, because they believed that the only way to reach the afterlife was by being killed in battle. So, their exact characteristics depend on which tribe tells the story. Um, Some say they were cyclops. Some say they were like squat, no-neck creatures or they had wings. Um, But most commonly, all of them said that they can turn invisible and they have magic powers. 
So now, fortunately, uh, these little creatures um, are commonly regarded to have been wiped out in an ancient battle with an alliance of tribes. Although stories of little folk, some more benign and merely mischievous, are um, like legends to like many North American tribes. So, moving on. Uh, number three would be Wendigos. Um, so, Wendigos, known to many Algonquin tribes um, of North American continent, Wendigos are among the most frightening and fearsome creatures in indigenous lore, like, ever, uh, apparently. So, the concept of the entity, um, of course, you know, you've seen it in comics, horror novels, TV shows, blah, 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 blah. So, they're kind of depicted as, like, wolf-like creatures, often with, like, antlers or horns. Um, however, the original lore describes Wendigos as giant, emancipated humanoids, often freezing cold um, and driven by an appetite for human flesh. Sounds fantastic. Um, it's widely thought that Wendigos were grotesque manifestations or symbols of the harsh winters and lack of food, which many tribes people had to endure. Um, there was even an early psychiatric condition dubbed Wendigo psychosis, um, which was describing people of the Algo excuse me, Algonquin regions who were seized by cannibalistic compulsions. Um, as an example, um... There was uh, a report by Jesuit missionaries in Canada. And yes, I had a question mark in my voice. <laughs> in Canada in 1661, who wrote of a local, uh, Milady striking local people, um, which affects their imaginations, causes them to be more, like, hungry and crazier, I guess. Uh, this makes them so, like crave human flesh, and they pounce upon women, children, men, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. They just want to eat flesh. So, the person perhaps most associated with the phenomena of when, uh, Wendigo psychosis was Swift Runner, which was a Cree Indian who worked as a trapper in Canada. In the winter of 1878, he horrified the community by slaughtering and eating his own wife and children. He later claimed that he had been overcome by the spirit of a Wendigo. Um, Wendigo. I don't know why I keep saying it like that. Um, a defense that didn't, you know, prevent him from being sentenced to hang by a jury. Um, that, you know, that included his fellow Crees. So, he was uh, sent sentenced to death. Because he ate his wife and children. Uh, which, you know. You know. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Not gonna make a comment. Let's move on. So, number four would be Queen of Death Valley. So, located in California, Death Valley is a scorching slice of America. And one of the hottest places on Earth. It's also associated with myths and legend of the Don't Come For Me. Timbisha, I think. Shoshone tribe. I looked it up, guys. I'm telling you, it's hard for me. I'm so dyslexic, it's not even funny. Um, they have, you know, 
inhibited the unforgiving Death Valley region for over like a millennium. Um, according to Generations Old Stories, Death Valley was once a lush green landscape of rolling meadows and gushing springs. Now, at the time, the legend goes, the tribe was ruled by a monarch um, who demanded her people build a vast, lavish place. And they did what she asked, working tirelessly to drag slabs of stone uh, with which to create her home. Now, over time, the queen became tyrannical, uh, enslaving her people, being cursed by her own daughter. Okay. Uh, nature itself took ven vengeance upon the queen for her vanity and wickedness. The sun intensifying the heat causing the fertile landscape to dry and wither. This was the tribe's or origin story, excuse me, of Death Valley as we know it today, and it said the queen's doomed place can still be glimpsed as a shimmering mirage in the desert heat. So, those are the four legends that I found. Um, now we're going to get into the um, the nitty-gritty with the walkers, okay? So let's let's get into it now. I must say, right off the bat, they have a name for the witch that is supposedly the Walker. I'm gonna try to pronounce it. Don't come for me, okay? You don't know you don't know how long I spent on this podcast episode translating and or um, finding pronunciations for uh, for their names. So let's get into it. Alright guys, let's take a little break, uh, go to the bathroom, get some snacks and a drink, do whatever you gotta do, uh, come back and we're gonna finish the episode. Now, so, the SW, okay? In the Navajo culture, a SW is a type of harmful witch who has the ability to turn into, possess, or disguise themselves as a human. Uh, the witch is called, don't come for me, Yi Naldalish. That's what I'm going to go with. I know I'm wrong. It's fine. Uh, by the Navajo, which translates to, with it, he goes on all fours. Um, it is just one of several types of Navajo witches and is considered the most volatile and dangerous. So, for the Navajo people, witchcraft is just another part of their spirituality and one of the ways of their lives. Um, as such, witchcraft has long been part of their culture, history, and traditions. Now, witches exist alongside humans and are, of course, not supernatural beings. Although the Navajo believe there are places where the powers of both good and evil are present, and that those powers can be harnessed for either, excuse me, they can, you, they can be used for either, uh, medicine men utilize these powers to heal and aid members of their communities or tribes. While those, uh, excuse me, while those who practice Navajo witchcraft seek to direct the spiritual forces to cause harm or misfortune to others. This type of Navajo witchcraft is known as the witchery way, which uses human corpses in various ways, such as tools from the bones, um, 
the and concoctions that are used to curse, harm, or kill intended victims. The knowledge of these powers is passed down from the elders through the generations. Of course, the Navajo are part of a larger culture area that also includes the Pueblo people, Apache, Hopi, and Ute, um, and of course, other groups that have their own versions of the SWs, um, but each include, you know, a witch capable of transforming itself into an animal. Among these tribes, a number of stories and descriptions have been told throughout the years about the SWs. Sometimes, these witches evolved from living their lives as respected healers or spiritual guides who later chose to use their powers for evil. Though they can either be male or female, they are more often male. They walk freely among the tribe during the day and secretly transform under the cover of night. In order to become an SW, he or she must be initiated by a secret society that requires the evilest of deeds. The killing of a close family member, most often, excuse me, most often a sibling. After this task has been completed, the individual then acquires supernatural powers, which gives them the ability to shapeshift into animals. Most often, they are seen in the form of coyotes, wolves, foxes, cougars, dogs, and bears, but can take the shape of any animal that they would like. Then, they wear the skins of the animals they also transform into, hence the name SW. Sometimes, they also wore animal skulls or antlers on top of their heads, which brought them more power. They chose what animal they wanted to turn into, depending on the abilities needed for a particular task, such as speed, strength, endurance, stealth, claws, teeth, etc. They may also transform again if trying to escape from pursuers. Now, because of this, the Navajo consider it taboo for its members, members to wear the pelt of any predatory animal. However, sheepskin, leather, and buckskin are acceptable. The SWs are also able to take possession of the bodies of a human victim if a person locks eyes with them. After taking control, the witch can make its victims do and say things that they wouldn't otherwise. Once they were shape-shifted, one way that others could tell that they were not a real animal is that their eyes are very different than those of an animal. Instead, their eyes are very human, and when lights are shined on them, they turn bright red. Alternatively, when they are in human form, their eyes look more like animals. Now, the evil society of the witches gather in dark caves, secluded places, uh, for several purposes. To initiate new members, plot their activities, harm people from a distance with black magic, perform dark uh, ceremonial rites. Um, these ceremonies are similar to other tribal affairs, including dancing, feast, rituals, and sand painting. But, of course, they were corrupted with dark um, connotations. Um, the evildoers are also said to engage in necrophilia with female corpses, commit cannibalism, incest, and grave robberies. During these gatherings, the SWs shapeshift into their animal forms or go about naked wearing only beaded jewelry and ceremonial paint. 
The leader of the SWs is usually an old man who is very powerful and a long-lived SW. Now, SWs also have other powers, including reading minds of others, controlling their thoughts and behaviors, causing disease and illness, destroying property, and even death. Um, Those who have talked about their encounters with these evil beings describe a number of ways to know if an SW is near. They make sounds around homes, such as knocking on windows, banging on walls, and scraping noises on the roof. On some occasions, they have been spied uh, peering through windows. More often, they appear in front of vehicles in hopes of causing a serious accident. It is said that in addition to being able to shapeshift, the SW is also able to control the creatures of the night, such as wolves and owls, and able to make them do their bidding. Some are able to call up the spirits of the dead and reanimate the corpses to attack their enemies. Because of this, the Indians rarely ventured out alone. And I say Indians because that's what was on her report. Throwing that out there. Um, Now, the supernatural powers are uncanny as they are said to run faster than a car, have the ability to jump off high cliffs, Um, They are extremely fast, agile, impossible to catch, and leave tracks that are larger than those of any animal. When they have been seen, they have been described as not quite human, not really fully animal. Um, They're usually naked, but some have reported seeing a creature wearing tattered shirts or jeans. The SW kills out of greed, anger, envy, spite, and revenge. It also robs graves for personal wealth and to collect much-needed ingredients for use in black magic. These witches live on the unexpired lives of their victims, and they must continuously kill or perish themselves. Now, the SWs and other witches have long been blamed for all manner of unexpected struggles and tragedies throughout the years, including sickness, drought, poor crops, sudden deaths, etc. Even smaller or individual problems such as windstorms during dances, annihilation of affection by mates, the death of livestock, reversal of fortune, um, and were often believed to be the work of a witch. So... This was most apparent with the Navajo Witch Purge in 1878, which initially evolved from a cultural response to so many people moving across and onto their lands. After a series of wars with the U.S. Army, the Navajo were expelled from their lands and forced to march to the um, Bosque Renado Fort Sumner in New Mexico in what is known as the Long Walk of the Navajo in 1864, which we talked about earlier. Um, there were people who suffered from bad water, failed crops, illness, death, reducing their numbers drastically. Um, after four years, the government finally admitted they made a mistake. That's a huge-ass mistake. Okay. And the Navajo were allowed to return to the, uh, to their homeland in the Four Corners area. Now, we've already discussed all that, but I'm just kind of going back over it. Um... During those years, many of the tribe's members were said to have turned into shape-shifting to escape the terrible conditions. In the meantime, the rest of the tribe were convinced that their gods had deserted them. Uh, Once the people had returned to their homeland, their conditions improved, but the dreaded SWs, for whom they blamed their years on the bleak reservation, were still among them. Accusations of witchcraft and the hunting of the SWs began. 
When someone found a collection of witchcraft artifacts wrapped in a copy of the Treaty of 1868, the tribal members unleashed deadly consequences. The Navajo Witch Purge occurred in 1878 in which 40 Navajo suspected witches were killed in order to restore harmony and balance for the tribe. Today, most of the tales of sightings of these witches do not include death or injury, but rather they're more like trickster-like. Um, numerous people have told stories of swift animals running alongside their vehicles, matching their speed. After a short period, however, it just runs off, you know, never seen again. Along the way, these animals sometimes turn into a man uh, who sometimes bangs on, like, the hood of the cars. Another story tells of a man who was making repairs on an old ranch home when he began hearing loud laughter coming uh, from the nearby sheep pens. He thought he was alone. He went to look, found all of the sheep but one huddled in the corner of the pen. However, there was a lone ram separated from the group that was standing upright, laughing in a very human manner. After the man locked eyes with the ram, he sees that this eyes of the animal are not normal and they're human-like. The animal then casually walked away on all four legs. Um, that's just some of the stories. Now, some say they've seen them running through the night. Uh, turning into a fireball, leaving streaks of color behind them. Others have seen angry-looking humanoid figures looking down from the cliffs, mountains, um, etc. So, uh, in the 1980s, so a ranch in northeast Utah, far away from the Navajo Reservation, became the partial focus of the SWs called the Sherman Ranch, the SW Ranch, and the Uf UFO Ranch. Excuse me. I was about saying the UFO. Uh, this place has a history of UFOs, aliens, cattle mutilations, crop circles, you name it, it's there. Um, located near the Ute Indian Reservation. Now, of course, the Ute people have long thought that the Navajo put a curse on their tribe and retribution for many perceived transgressions. And since then, the SWs have plagued the Ute people. Now, witchcraft represents the um, antithesis, why I'm dyslexic on that, I have no idea, um, of Navajo cultural values and is not tolerated. Now, they work to avoid it, prevent it, and cure it in their daily behaviors. However, when it exists, their laws have always said that when a person becomes a witch, they have forfeited their humanity and their right to exist, so they should be killed. However, of course, you know, SWs are notoriously hard to kill, and attempts are usually unsuccessful. Trying to kill one will often result in the witch seeking revenge, which is freaking worse. So, successfully killing generally requires the assistance of a powerful shaman who knows spells and rituals that can turn the SW's evil back upon itself. So, it pretty much just reflects its dark magic back onto them. Um... Another alternative is to shoot the creature with bullets that have been dipped in white ash. However, this shot must hit the witch in the neck or the head. So, you have to be like freaking Van Helsing, right? To be able to, to hit that shot. Especially if they're as fast as, you know, what they say. So, traditionally, the Navajo will not speak with outsiders about the creatures for fear of retribution by the SWs. For that matter, it is a taboo subject um, amongst the natives themselves. So, 
most of the time it's none of our dang business okay is, is what they're saying none of our dang business they don't want nothing to do with it they just you know deal with it and ignore it and do what they gotta do so um now that article uh information was by kathy weiser alexander uh from like february 2020 i think it's on legendsofamerica.com she had an amazing article so that's pretty much just what we went over um that information i couldn't find anywhere else so great job kathy um we're gonna move on to the sw ranch and kind of the history of that and then we're gonna be done guys so let's get into it so the legend of the shape-shifting entity known as the sw has largely been regulated to hoax status now, after all, it is difficult to believe that a humanoid figure has been transforming into a four-legged animal and terrorizing families in the American Southwest. While unscientific, the Navajo SW does have deep roots in Native American lore. And me personally, you know what? I've seen some stuff. So, uh, not particularly this, and I hope never, but I've seen some paranormal shit, and you know what? I think, I think, I think there's stuff. So, um, the rest of America got its first real taste of the Navajo legend in 1996 when the, um, Desert News, I think is how you say that, published an article titled Frequent Flyers? Question mark. The story was about a Utah's, um, excuse me. The story was about a family in Utah who had traumatizing experience with the supposed creature that included cattle mutilations, um, disappearances, UFO sightings, and crop circles. But the family's most distressing encounter occurred one night just 18 months after moving onto the ranch. Um, Terry Sherman, the father of the family, was walking his dogs around the ranch late at night when he encountered a wolf. But this was no ordinary wolf. It was perhaps three times bigger than a normal one, had glowing red eyes, and stood unfazed by, excuse me, by three close-range shots Sherman blasted into its hide. So he shot the dang thing and it didn't flinch, pretty much what the saying. Um... And fun fact, I swear, when I was a kid in my neighborhood, I was hanging out with some neighborhood kids, and we went back into this little um, pasture behind this, like, house, and we were chased by three huge wolves. And to this day, I will still say that really happened. Uh, I told my mom all about it, and she still remembers it. So, don't know what it was, but it definitely was not, it was definitely not great. Anyway, um, the Sherman family, you know, of course, were not the only ones to be traumatized when they had been on the property. Um, after they moved out, several new owners experienced similar encounters with creatures. And today, the ranch has become a hub of paranormal research that um, was renamed SW Ranch. I almost said it. Um, in 1996, a couple of outsiders were introduced to the legend after a series of events occurred at the new ranch, or at their new ranch, technically, because they moved in. Uh, Terry and Gwen Sherman first observed UFOs of varying sizes hovering over the property. Seven of their cows died or disappeared, 
One was reportedly found with a hole cut into the center of its left eyeball. Another had its rectum carved out. Either they aliens or they're some really creepy ass people. Um, the cattle the Shermans did find were dead, um, were both surrounded by an odd chemical smell. One was found dead in a clump of trees. The branches above appeared to have been cut off. One of the cows that vanished had left tracks in the snow and then suddenly disappeared. Um, this is a quote from Terry Sherman, who said, quote, If it's snow, it's hard for a 1,200, 1,400-pound animal to just walk off without leaving tracks or to stop and walk backwards completely and never miss their tracks. Um, it was just gone. It was very bizarre, end quote. Perhaps most terrifying were the voices Terry heard while walking his dogs late at night. Sherman reported that the voices spoke in a language he did not recognize. He estimated that they had came from about 25 feet away, but he couldn't see anything. His dogs went berserk, barked, and ran hastily back to the house. After the Shermans sold their property, these incidences only continued. Now, UFO enthusiast and Las Vegas realtor Robert Bigelow bought the ranch for $200,000 in 1996. He established the Nas excuse me, National Institute for Discovery Science on the grounds and put up substantial surveillance. The goal was to access what exactly, uh, excuse me, <laughs> the goal was to figure out what the heck was going on there. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, on March 12th, 1997, Bigelow's employee biochemist, Dr. Coleman Keller, spotted a large humanoid figure perched in a tree. Detailed in his book, Hunt for the SW, the creature was 20 feet off the ground and about 50 feet away. He wrote, quote, The large creature that lay motionless, almost casually in the tree. The only indication of the beast's presence was the um, penetrating yellow light of the unblinking eyes as they stared fixedly back into the light, end quote. I don't know why that was a mouthful, but it was. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, um, he actually fired at the supposed SW with a rifle and it fled. It left claw marks and imprints on the ground. Uh, Keller described the evidence as signs of, quote, bird of prey, maybe a raptor print, but huge, and from the depth of the print, a very heavy creature, end quote. Uh, this was only days after another unnerving incident where the ranch manager and his wife had just tagged a calf before their dog began acting really weird. Um, this is said by Keller, quote, they went back to get investigate 45 minutes later and in the field in broad daylight found the calf and its body cavity empty. Most people know if an 84-pound calf is killed, there's blood spread around. It was as if all the blood had been removed in, very, in a very thorough way, end quote. He, um, distressing, excuse me. The distressing activity continued well into the summer. Three eyewitnesses saw a very large animal in a tree and also another large animal at the base of the tree, continued Keller. We had videotaped equipment, night vision equipment. We started hunting around the tree for a carcass and there was no evidence whatsoever. That was quoted by Keller. Um, ultimately... Bigelow and his research team experienced over 100 incidents on the property. 
but couldn't amass the kind of evidence that scientific publication would accept with, you know, open arms. Um, Bigelow sold the ranch to a company called, don't come for me, Adam and, Adam, Adam and Timonium? What the heck? How do you even say that? Anyway, um, <laughs> he sold it to that holdings for $4.5 million in 2016. Can you imagine? That was originally purchased for $200,000 and now it's $4.5 million because of what's going on. That's crazy. Um, so, it was now owned by the Aditanium Holdings. That's, that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, SW Ranch is patrolled by armed guards. Since taking over um, SW Ranch, um, they installed equipment all over the property, cameras, alarm systems, infrared, etc., etc. Most alarming, however, are the accounts from company employees. According to Vice, employee Thomas Winterton was one of the several ones who randomly experienced skin inflammation and nausea after working on the grounds. Some even had to be hospitalized with no clear medical diagnosis for their condition. And let me just go back and fix my stutter. Admentium Holdings is who bought the thing for $4.5 million. Just saying. Okay. So, um, this and the following account um, parallel some of the inexplicable events featured in sci-fi shows like The Outsider. As uh, Winterton reported, quote, I take my truck up the road, and as soon as I get closer, I start to get really scared. Just this feeling that takes over. Then I hear this voice, as clear as you to me right now, that says, stop, turn around. I lean out the window with my spotlight out and start searching around nothing. End quote. Despite this dreadful experience, Winterton reported that he is not leaving SW Ranch anytime soon. Uh, he stated, quote, it's like the ranch calls to you, you know? End quote. The area surrounding SW Ranch has been dotted with crop circles and littered with UFO sightings, creature sightings, people disappearing, livestock mutilations, blah, 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 blah. Thousands and thousands of things. Um, and it's still kicking today. So, the, um, if I'm not mistaken, it is... Let me find it. Let me find it. You can actually go to um, uh, join, and I have to say it, guys, because it's a it's a URL. So sorry. Um, you can go to join.skinwalker-ranch.com, and they actually have freaking cameras and stuff that you can have access to. Um, now, granted, it kind of seems like they're taking advantage of this because you have to subscribe. <laughs> To watch uh, evidence and videos and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, take what you will from that. I feel personally, if people are really experiencing things, I don't really feel like they're going to exploit it for money. That's just me. Um, but whatever. I mean, I guess it's no different than, you know, like some of the um, paranormal shows. You know, they're on TV exploiting paranormal to, to give people evidence. I don't know if it's necessarily for money. Whatever. But in this case, it's kind of eh with me. So, um, you can do like an annual 
so you can either pay one bill for $96 or $8 a month. You get 12 months of, of SW Ranch Insider, save 20% off versus monthly plan, and you get an SW Ranch Insider t-shirt, or you can do a monthly, uh, which is like $10 a month, and it's billed every 30 days, and you get access to the SW Ranch Insider. Um, you can also do like a free trial. I don't know how long that is, um, but you pretty much get with this. I'm not saying go sign up for it, and this is definitely not sponsored. I just thought this was kind of cool because you can like look into stuff yourself, and you can access the ranch webcams that they have. Um, yeah. Anyway, so um, so like the insider membership benefits, you have like the exclusive content, uh, disturbing audio, infrasonic, and frequency data. Um, this includes UFOs and whatever else they may see out there. You get webcam access, giveaway, exclusive meet and greets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Whatever, whatever. So, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, other than that, it's, of course, in Utah, and the ranch itself, I think, is like 512 acres, so that's, that's pretty much all I got for you guys today. Um, I hope you enjoyed the paranormal episode, you know, I like to do those once in a while. Um, next, next week, you know, because we're bi-weekly now, um, I have an episode in mind. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but I'm going to go ahead and warn you. Um, the case is absolutely horrendous and traumatizing and, and, and very bad. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give you your trigger warnings. Um, I believe there's body mutilation, rape, kidnapping, possibly drugging, um, abuse, uh, bullying, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, she may have been a teenager, so that's also children involved. So just keep that in mind for the next episode because I'm taking it back to the dark uh, world of the, of the crime. So, yeah. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and weekend. I'll see you in a week. Well, guys, that's all for today's episode. Make sure you tune in bi-weekly. We are every other Monday for another riveting case where I will traumatize you more than you probably already are. <laughs> so thank you for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out the Instagram at morbid period curiosity period TC podcast for photos related to each case that I cover. Feel free to send me spooky crazy stories or case suggestions at morbidcuriositytcpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify and Apple Pod or whatever you're listening to us on. Um, I do appreciate all you spooky listeners. Please stay kind, stay spooky, and for the love of God, don't murder anyone. <laughs>